It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to. Lots to talk about. Story caught my attention. Uh, talking about the, the U.S., China, the, the big companies in both countries and what they focused on. And, you know, this article went into the fact that the big companies here in the U.S. tend to be retail, tend to be service based, tend to be, well, I'll wash your car. You wash my dog. Hey, buy something from me. Hey, let me do a service for you. Whereas in China, the state owned big giants there, uh, they're, they're, they're petroleum, they're, they're electric, they're, they're manufacturing, they're steel uh, production uh, stuff, tangible. And the article kind of went into this idea of, you know, if you're looking down the road at, at which economy is going to be, I don't know, a little more stable, a little more resilient, maybe the one that makes stuff instead of the one that buys stuff. Uh, when you look at the top 15 companies in this country, most of them lead towards retail and technology. Whereas, you know, the, the Chinese, they're, they're leaning towards, hey, you know, we can get gas and oil and, and building stuff, construction. And, and, and this wasn't really where my mind was going to be today until I saw this Washington Post story. Uh, Eva Dow uh, is a, a reporter for the Washington Post, former, uh, I guess she was a former uh, you know, China-based reporter, former economic-based reporter, uh, but she does reporting for, for, the, for the Post now. Uh, her, her piece, Biden wooing battleground states and red states with research funds. And I'm like, really? <laughs> um, you read the article, there's $150 million in research money that's going to go to 18 states. Uh, she says most of them are contested or read, you know, as Biden is making his pitch uh, to, to voters. He's making that economic pitch over one hundred and fifty million dollars. Understand, you know, we're a giant economy. He's got a one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill out there uh, that's rebuilding roads and bridges and and all kinds of stuff. He's got a huge chips bill that's you know bringing back manufacturing. But this $150 million in research money that they're sending out to different states to look into, hey, how can you best use your particular geographic education system? How can you use your particular area's advantages for the best uh, what they call innovation engines. How can you use this for, you know, you know whatever the industry, aerospace, energy, textiles, whatever. Uh, and this program overseen by the National Science Foundation, $150 million, broken up between 18 states. And you know, those battleground states of Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, and Wisconsin, they're among them. And you go, okay, you know, part of me goes, yeah, you know, maybe. Uh, but the other states receiving funding, as Ms. Dow points out, Florida, Biden's not going to win. Louisiana, probably not. North Dakota, no way in a cold day. Ohio, definitely not. South Carolina, sorry, ain't going to happen. Tennessee, nope. 
Texas, probably not for a while. Utah, definitely not. And Wyoming, are you freaking kidding me? So, now remember, all those states, Trump won and, you know, in 2020. And, you know, the Republican will win again this time around. But saying, hey, uh, all the states, from the battleground states of Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Wisconsin, to the red states that I just pointed out, to the states that Biden won, Colorado, Illinois, New Mexico, New York, and Virginia. How about you take this money and you figure out, you know, what what it is that that you do well and what what industries we want to bring back and fight for you know at a policy level to where we start thinking about how do we uh how do we reshore manufacturing and bring jobs back and and bring faith in our community back and how do we how do we compete with china huh how about that no no that's not what this article was about no no this was about the horse race because we got to make this about a political horse race. It's got to be between Biden and Trump. It's got to be about red and blue. It's got to be red hat, blue hat. And the reality is, understand, uh, this is about you know getting back what we've given away over 40 plus years of supply side voodoo Reaganomics. Because as I'm reading through both of these articles, my mind is in this place of going, you know, reality is, is we are living the conservative dream. We are living Reaganomics. We are living what the 80s we were told was going to be utopia. There'd be no more dirty manufacturing. You wouldn't have to break your back doing hard work. You know, everything was going to be, you know, service-based economy. We were all going to have corner offices and wear white shirts and ties. It was going to be great. We were all going to make upper income. We are going to all be upper middle class income folks. We were going to all, we were all be great. It was going to be, it was going to be amazing. And what we've come out with is we've lost all of those manufacturing jobs that were the heartbeat of communities across this country, which was the glue that tied this country together and what gave the working class the pride and the sense of, of, of purpose and the ability to support their families and, and have their children do better and invest in communities, be part of something. We gave, we gave all that away. And you go, no, no, you know, we lost it. No, we didn't, we didn't lose it. We know exactly where it is. We allowed the capitalists, we allowed the wealthy, the rich that we were given massive tax breaks to, to take those things for more, more tax breaks and more wealth somewhere else so that they could line their pockets with more. And this is the part that this is the part makes me angry. This is the part that drives me insane. We're still put in this red hat, blue hat area. We're still put into this. It's got to be about Biden and Trump. No, no. This is about the U.S. reclaiming its manufacturing prowess. This is about domestic production for domestic consumption. This is about building stuff. This is about a program, a small program. On the budget of the U.S. government, $150 million is like a trip to Burger King. It is a small amount of money, but a useful small amount of money. An amount of money that's going to give us lots of information on how we can invest in, in, in this country. And look, you know, Biden's been you know, pushing for manufacturing, calling for investments in our country. And yeah, you know, we need we need to be doing more of this. But this idea that <laughs> it's a horse race, it's not. And this is where our media falls down on the job. This is where, you know, I guess getting clicks and selling papers are more important than, hey, you know, as a matter of of moving forward, maybe, maybe here's an idea. Maybe 
Maybe we should have a policy. How about that? And I say good on Joe Biden. We definitely need it. Uh, instead of having uh, hedge funds and, and banks and, and Amazon and retail and tech and all that, how about we bring back big, big manufacturing facilities? How about we create jobs in those worlds and actually compete with the Chinese? There's a thought. want to hear yours. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, our good friend Carolyn Fiddler is going to be here to share some thoughts on what's going on in Virginia. I hear, I hear there's some, some good pro-worker stuff potentially possible in the Commonwealth of Virginia, if only for a, a governor. Uh, but we'll, when we come back, we'll talk about that. Quick break. Right back. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So, Jenny from Seattle sent me in this, this Reuters article from, from last December uh, with the message, remember this? Rich, isn't it? And, and yes, very, very much so. Uh, the article uh, from December 17th, Reuters, uh, points out that uh, Donald Trump was, was not happy, not happy that the stock market is just making rich people richer. Now, remember, you know, when he lost to, to Biden, he said that the stock market was going to crash. Uh, you know, the economy was going to all be in the toilet. Now, everything was going to be it was going to all be bad, all bad. Remember that. Remember, you know, Biden was going to destroy everything. And now that, you know, Wall Street is, you know, fat and happier, uh, it's, you know, you remember he wants it to crash here in the next year. But, you know, it's uh, it's only making rich people richer. And he's starting to sound like me. And, you know, I'm wondering when he'll flip back. Huh. Interesting. Interesting uh, that when no one's really paying attention to what you're actually saying, what you get away with saying. Uh, but here to share some thoughts on just how crazy this whole election cycle is, has been and maybe some fun and entertainment from the Commonwealth of Virginia. I've asked our good friend Carolyn Fiddler to come talk with us. She is the the know-it-all, the, the see-all, be-all, do-all there in the Commonwealth. Carolyn, thanks for taking time for us. Thanks for having me. It's really cool to be back. Yeah, so, no, never a dull moment. So Wall Street uh, only, uh, you know, on the stock market, it's only making rich people richer, Carolyn. You know, it's just now because of Biden. It's all Biden's fault. Yeah, I mean, now, now, now Trump's mad about that. <laughs> I'm so confused. But here's the thing. This is I've been saying for a very long time. You know, the, the reality is, is uh, if if the right and the left, if working class people who wear the red hats and the blue hats were actually allowed to talk to each other and not be divided by all the outrage candy, they would both agree that the stock market, for the most part, makes the rich people much richer and while well, them not so much. And maybe we could do something about that. Uh, I don't hear Trump talking about what he's going to do to fix that yeah that 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 requires like a, a a level a train of thought that's longer than he's capable of like 
hitching together. I feel like it's just not that's just not in his uh, cognitive wheelhouse. I'm convinced. No, no. Look, but here's the thing, and, and I, I I've been seeing and I've been saying for a while that that Republicans are in the process of trying to make a play for working people. You're, you're seeing, you know, so the, the Josh Hollies, the JD Vance's showing up on picket lines and, you know, meeting with, with the, you know, Sean O'Brien and, you know, Sean O'Brien going down to Magalago down there to take thumbs up pictures. You're seeing a play for, uh, by Republicans for, for unions and their policies are all bad. I mean, everything that they do, you know, I say, look, Republicans hate working people. Look at what they do, not what they say. And this is a part of this. And it's not just Trump. It's it's top to bottom of the Republican Party. Yeah, absolutely. Every 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 level all the way down to state ledge. I mean, it's it's a it's a bad scene. It's a it's, it's not great for working people. And, you know, when when one party is on their side, the other party is just not even if they want to you know, take photo ops to help uh, push back against that. That's still, you know, talk is cheap. Now, your state is in the process of of doing some good things. Uh, a minimum wage increase possible, except for maybe that you've got a a, a billionaire. Oh, is he a billionaire? I mean, he's a rich guy. Youngkin's a rich a rich guy. I don't know if he's a billionaire yet, uh, but a rich guy, a Wall Maybe Street a guy, you know, oddly enough. Um, but uh, there's talk of him vetoing the, the meager minimum wage increase. Oh, yeah. No, he's absolutely convinced that the market will take care of it. Um, never mind that Virginia's minimum wage had been in its same place. It's the same place for many, 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 many years before Democrats hiked it when they got control of the legislature and the governorship uh, four or five years ago. So um, yeah, no, the market is not. That's not what the market does. <laughs> it's just push up minimum wage. We know this. Like it hasn't changed on the federal level in years, and like there are many states where that is just still their minimum wage because they have it pegged to the to the federal. Minimum wage and uh, you know legislatures that aren't interested in hiking that. So uh, yeah, so Democrats will almost certainly pass it through both chambers, and uh, the governor will probably veto it. To be honest. Now this is one of those moments of you know which side are you on? And and I saw you know some you know some some tweets going out of you know Democrats in Virginia saying, look, if you don't sign this, you know any any cooperation you may think we had, this is this is kind of that defining line. And it should be. This should be one of those things that it shouldn't be red hat, blue hat. Working people need help. Uh, there are so many folks out there struggling. Wages haven't kept up. It's it's time for a little a little push in the right direction. Yeah. Um. And and when uh, the minimum wage hike increase was first being debated, like you know, four years ago or whatever, um, Democrat Republicans were all, oh my God, this is going to tank the economy. Businesses will have to close because they can't afford to pay workers this new elevated rate. And like none of that came to pass. Like Republicans are still making the same arguments and people are like, but you said those same things four years ago and show me the evidence of any of that happening. Was it just four and years ago, Carolyn? I mean, they were saying <laughs> that back, you know, uh, 2006, the last time they raised the minimum wage here in Pennsylvania, uh, up to 715, they were saying all oh, the jobs are going to go away. All those working people, they're going to lose their job. And in fact, what happened? Interestingly enough, and what happens almost every time we raise the minimum wage, you actually got a small bump in the number of jobs uh, that were created because people had more disposable income to spend. That meant people filled that demand with hiring other. It's it's kind of a snowball. You maybe you've you've heard this analogy before that you know as things get better they do better kind of thing. 
<laughs> it's it's the real trickle down as opposed to. <laughs> and this is cho chosen as Trump is right. You know, the blind squirrel found a mouse. Um, you know, reality, Wall Street makes rich people richer. Yep. Uh, who who would have guessed it? Who would have guessed that the stock market makes rich people richer? Yeah. No. It's uh, who 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 would have thought? Except for everyone ever who's ever looked at this kind of thing. Um, yeah, no, but Virginia Democrats are trying to do good things for working families. Um, they're trying to uh, pass uh, requiring sick leave for workers and, and and things of that nature. There are a couple of bills designed to finally get rid of right to work in Virginia. Um, oh, now they're now now they're on board with this. Now now the Democrats are there on board with this. When they had yes. the chance a couple of years ago that I was screaming about, uh, and I was saying, look, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky made an, an an extra special early session they actually went and passed right to work faster than they than they were supposed to because they were yeah. so excited about destroying the ability of workers to to fight for better wages hours conditions you mean democrats you know back when they had the chance didn't have the same kind of zeal and 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 and, 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 and zest and and passion to get out there and do that they did not. the uh, The anti worker interests in Virginia are very strong and very powerful, um, no matter which party is in charge. And so, yeah, four years ago, Democrats had power for the first time in a very long time, in literally decades. And I think they were. I, I think that maybe they weren't entirely sure how to wield it most effectively, um, arguably, because I think that building. I know that actually building union strength in a state is important for uh, democratic electoral success because that becomes an essential part of the infrastructure of the democratic party in a given state. Uh, so it seemed really short-sighted that Democrats didn't jump on that when they had the opportunity, but progress is being made and uh, a Republican will not be governor forever in Virginia. So, so building, uh, building towards the future. No, that, and that's good because, but here's the thing. As I keep saying, I want Democrats to have the same kind of passion that Republicans have against it. And I'm sure you saw uh, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster's State of the State address the other, I think it was last week, uh, where, you know, again, South Carolina is uh, the state that enjoys the lowest percentage of, of union workers in its state, 2.3% union density, the lowest, and they've been the lowest for a very long time. But he is going to fight those unions all the way to the gates of hell. And you go, really? Uh, when when do the Democrats say we're going to fight to the gates of hell to ensure workers have the right to fight for better wages, hours, conditions? Well, it's also part of how, how Republicans do politics. They have to, they don't have any policies to run on anymore. So they have to set up boogeymen. Yeah. <laughs> they have to set up things for people to be scared of and something for them to fight. Other things they're fighting are meaningless. They're fighting against, you know, poor trans kids. They're fighting against a, a, a imaginary labor behemoth. They're fighting against my cat who just jumped in my lap. Uh <laughs> right, they might get me on that one. <laughs> I know the hate mail will come. I am not a cat fan just so uh, just to get that out of the way. Uh, we have one. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, but uh, 
But here's the thing, and this is where this should be that dividing line. If, if we need to have red hat, blue hat, it should be union card, no union card. It should be good wages, not good wages. South Carolina has one of the lowest wage structures in the country. They have one of the highest rates of uninsured workers in the entire country. They have one of the highest rates of workers without pensions. They have one of the least safe workplaces in the entire country. And yet bragging about the fact that their workers have the least ability to be able to do anything anything about that i i kind of think there's there's something for voters to go maybe we should change that it, it does seem like that should be a a major part of some messaging for for democrats to undertake perhaps in south carolina and elsewhere um it seems like a really really good idea to me <laughs> there is a start uh there is a start and there look there's a presidential election i'm sure you've heard you know what i, I have heard that that is happening um, also, many, many states will be uh, elected, re-electing their state legislatures uh, this year as well. But yes, also the presidential. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I like Joe Biden. I like his record. I like what he has done. And I think for working people, it's pretty simple. And I think UAW President Sean Fain laid it out pretty, pretty succinctly. Um, you know, look, the billionaires are our enemies. That's pretty simple. I don't think it gets any simpler than that. It's 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 important to keep these things you know cut and dry because in the end they're really are they even that complicated? Mm, not really, not really. One side wants one thing and the other side wants something else entirely. But we spend most of our time you know arguing over the stuff that divides us. You, you brought up the trans kids thing. You brought up some of the other stuff that again they throw out for us to focus on, kind of like a cat and a laser pointer. Um, and then we forget all of the other stuff that's been screwing us over for decades. And, you know, the, right. I love the fact that Biden's got an industrial policy and is moving yeah. towards a stronger industrial policy. That you know, something I've been calling for for you know my entire working life, uh, all, almost all 20 years of doing this show. Maybe maybe start making stuff again. I mean, heaven forfend. <laughs> but, yeah, that would be nice. That would be a really good way to, you know to empower workers uh, have more work making things in the United States. Well, it is, it is certainly going to be an interesting election cycle. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to see what happens if, if Yunkin does veto the minimum wage bill. And, 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 you know, for Democrats, you know, how much do you take out of that for messaging? Because I keep going back to it. And, you know, Quite as I've lot. said, Republicans hate working people. Look at what they do. This guy's going to veto a minimum, a minimum wage bill. It's going to help the people at the very bottom. Yeah. And Youngkin, as I just checked, he is, he is a millionaire. He is not a billionaire uh, as of, as of a couple of years ago. So unless he suddenly got super rich in the governor's mansion, which would not be great. Um, and would hopefully, <laughs> you know, without some investigations, he is, he is merely a millionaire. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's been interesting to watch session is like only a couple of weeks old, uh, but it's a, only a six week session in Virginia. So Youngkin has been kind of keeping his powder dry and, but more interestingly, Republicans in the legislature seem to be keeping their powder a bit dry. Like things that bills have been passing that they, they don't like, uh, like gun safety bills and, uh, bills, you know, expanding, uh, access to safe abortion care, um, minimum wage. Uh, in past sessions, I feel like Republicans would have given a lot of fiery floor speeches against all this, or at least in committee. And they have just been saying their piece, like presenting their bills and uh, kind of 
not doing anything else, just being like, oh, we're against, uh, you know, this bill or we're pro this bill that would allow more guns unregulated or unlocked or whatever. Um, and they've just been kind of chill because they are relying on Yunkin to veto all the things they don't like. And they're yeah. trying to avoid giving potentially viral clips that could uh, undermine them in elections to come. And I think that is A, very cowardly and B, very smart. <laughs> On their part. Yeah, because honestly, I haven't heard much coming out of Virginia. I, I think there will oh. be a lot of vetoes, and I don't know that there'll be any, any Youngkin giving any fiery speeches about, about how you know, we're, we're saving capitalism by by screwing low-wage workers. I'm, I'm sure there, that won't come out of his mouth, but uh, the veto pen will. Yes, I imagine a lot of these things will be vetoed quietly, and um, all I can hope is that, uh, well, what I know is that I will be lifting up these things, obviously, in my writing and my work, but um, hopefully... Democrats in Virginia will also decide to bang that drum of, hey, Yunkin, why, why do you hate working people so much? There, There is a good question. Uh, and I'm sure as those stories come up, we'd love to have you back here and share some thoughts on what's going on uh, there in Virginia. And, you know, because like like Virginia, a lot of states following, following the same playbook. Uh, but Carolyn, I appreciate you taking some time for us. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. Good stuff, our good friend Carolyn Fiddler. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. I'm going to take a quick break. Right back after this. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Check out our website, thericksmithshow.com. So look, you know, on this Virginia thing, and, it's, and I wish they would have taken uh, a play out of the, the playbook of the folks in Michigan who almost immediately went after uh, right to work and restored workers' ability to collectively bargain and ensure that, that everyone's on board uh, that everyone's paying their fair share. And and look, you, you get something, you pay for it. Uh, and this is a funny story that I, I, I told somebody just the other day. Uh, you know, when, when these right-to-work groups have events, uh, I like to, you know, I like to call them and go, hey, I would like to come to your event. I would like your benefits. Uh, I remember, I think it was the, the Chamber of Commerce had um, a, a speaker come in. And I reached out to them locally and said, hey, I, I want to come to the event. Well, you're not a member. I go, so? You're advocating for, for workers to be able to get uh, benefits of collectively bargained contracts that they don't have to pay for. They get those rights. I should be able to get yours. That's what you're advocating for. And they never seem to want to live up to their rhetoric. Uh, so for me, I, I, wish, I, wish, I wish Virginia would, would by all means... Uh, take a play a, a book a page out of the playbook from Michigan and just just hammer some of this stuff through when they get the the ability to again Yunkin's going to stand in the way get a veto you know, virtually everything that's going to help working people because this is their mo these are people who Republicans hate working people look at the policies that they pass look at what they do when they have the power you know look at our House of Representatives what has our House done. What have they done to advance 
the ability of working people to make ends meet. And the reality is they've done nothing except, well, the status quo. And who does the status quo help? Well, the very wealthy, not you or me. But I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. For our free speech TV audience, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time for our radio folks. We're right back after this. Stick around. This is The Rick Smith Show. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2011. That was the day California first celebrated its state holiday known as Fred Korematsu Day of Civil Liberties and the Constitution. Born on January 30th, 1919, Fred Korematsu was among those victimized by President Roosevelt's wartime executive order 9066, mandating Japanese-American internment. Born in Oakland, California, Korematsu worked as a shipyard welder. He was arrested and a eventually convicted after refusing to report to authorities for internment. The ACLU took up his case, hoping to test the legality of 9066. Korematsu and his family were relocated to the Central Utah Wars Relocation Center in Topaz, Utah. There he worked eight hours a day for $12 a month and waited for his case to travel through the legal system. It eventually reached the U.S. Supreme Court. In Korematsu v. United States, the court held that compulsory exclusion, though constitutionally suspect, is justified during circumstances of emergency and peril. After his release, Korematsu worked odd jobs and faced discrimination and wage theft. He eventually resettled in Oakland with his wife and children. In 1983, Korematsu's conviction was finally vacated. Fifteen years later, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He became a tireless activist for civil liberties and worked to ensure internment could never happen again. Before his death in 2005, he served on the Constitution Project's Liberty and Security Committee. He warned, quote, No one should ever be locked away simply because they share the same race, ethnicity, or 
or religion as a spy or terrorist. If that principle was not learned from the internment of Japanese Americans, then these are very dangerous times for our democracy. Fred Korematsu Day is also celebrated in Hawaii, Virginia, and Florida. Farming can be a deeply satisfying life. You're connected directly to nature, you are your own boss, and you do work that's real, benefiting humanity. But then there are the pests, such as invasive bugs, monopolistic profiteers, and a new exceptionally destructive plague, billionaires. Yes, flocks of predatory ultra-billionaires wanting not just to gouge farmers, but to take away their farms. The crassest example of this land grab is happening now in Solano County, California, a bucolic agricultural area just north of San Francisco. A gaggle of narcissistic Silicon Valley tech titans with maximum bank accounts and minimal ethics has arrogantly and surreptitiously been spending nearly a billion dollars in an investment hustle to buy out and pay over every farm in the county. Led by a former Wall Street huckster, literally known as Golden Boy, the Titans pose as altruistic futurists, intending to turn this rural county into a magical technotronic haven of urban affluence and sophistication. Agriculture, they say, is the low-yield economy of yesterday, wasting valuable real estate on farming. So farmers must sell out and get out of the way, allowing these capitalist visionaries to grow a new megacity of the future. But not everyone in Solano was charmed, with many refusing to sell to Golden Boy. So, flush with self-entitlement, the Silicon Valley money lords are trying to muscle the uppity rural holdouts by suing them for, get this, refusing to sell their farms. The lawsuit is BS, of course, but it's meant to crush the farmers with legal fees. This is Jim Hightower saying, altruistic visionaries? One of the billionaires bluntly touted the syndicate's real motivation, gushing that the Solano land grab can be spectacularly profitable for investors. Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. You know, I gotta tell you, I love when politicians use the line, I'm not trying to be a politician. <laughs> Always love that. I also love when they take credit for stuff that they didn't do. And we've been seeing a lot of that as Republicans who voted against the the all of the Biden agenda. Uh, you know, the infrastructure, the chips, all of the investments that are being made that people are now kind of looking at going, it's a good idea. And look, as we see more of this coming online, as we see more of these investments happening in our communities, people are going to start going, hey, um, how'd that happen? And there are going to be a lot of Republicans who are going, well, you know, I, I brought that money back to the district. I'm the one who brought home the bacon. Because <laughs> understand, you know, everyone wants their elected official to bring home the bacon. They want things in their community. They want their roads paved. They want the potholes filled. They want good schools. They want good bridges. They want They want good stuff. And when the federal government doles some of that stuff out, all the politicians, they line up at the trough and they, they want to bring something home so they can take credit for it. So they can go, hey, look at how wonderful I am. Look at me. Look at how good I done. <laughs> and uh, and take credit for it. And, and you know, we've had you know, numerous examples of this over, over the last year or two. Um, but here's another one. Uh, Florida Representative Maria Salazar 
I was being interviewed by this guy on CBS in Miami. Uh, I believe his name's Jim DeFetti. And Jim pushed her. And good, because she took credit for projects that are happening in Florida that were made part of possible because of the infrastructure legislation, because of the Chips and Science Act, because of the things that Biden and Democrats and a handful of Republicans supported. She, she not one of them, but she's taking credit for it. She brought home, she said she brought home $40 million worth of stuff. Look how wonderful. And he's going, hey, wait a second. You voted against it. And she's like, well, yeah, I, 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 I forgot. I, how am I supposed to know how I voted? I'll have to talk to my staff. And, and this is the kind of stuff that has to happen to these people. You don't get to vote against something and then take credit for it. Now, usually the line is, and any, any thoughtful person would go, well, you know, there was this one thing in the bill that I wasn't happy with. That's why I voted against it. And for most of the base, that's okay. Because they're against it too. They're against all of it because it's it's got Biden's name on it. But to say I, I basically I forgot <laughs> is one of those things where you go, what exactly did you forget? Um, can you can you explain how this this all works itself out? Because you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we all forgot. You know, maybe that's how it is. Maybe we just we just forgot, you know, how government works. And and I, I go back to this because I think it's important that people are held accountable for the actions that they that they do. And and Salazar voted against this legislation. And look, if you vote against it, own up to it. Yeah, I, I voted against it. It wasn't the legislation that I wanted, voted against it. Ends there. But you don't get to get credit for it. <laughs> That's the thing, because come election time when and then look, you know, Biden's going across the country going, hey, look at what we look at what we've done. Look at our record. And this is why records are important. And Trump doesn't get to pull play that. I'm not a politician card anymore, because guess what? He's a politician now. He served served four years in office. He's running for to be elected again. That's the definition of a politician. And, and now he may not act like a traditional politician. Uh, he may act like a lunatic at times. He may act like you know, there's some, some things going you know haywire up there. He's still a politician. And, and, and I, you know, I look at this, the Salazar woman who's like, well, you know, I'm trying, not, I'm trying not to be a politician here. I, I get that. I get that place for your base. But you are a politician. Accountable to those of us who vote in elections. And it's important for reporters and good on this reporter for pushing her and being prepared to push her and saying, look, you don't get the, you don't, you don't get cake and eat it too. Nope. No, no, no. You don't get to say, I, I vote. You don't get to I say, I look at how wonderful I am and then be the one who voted against it. That doesn't happen. Uh, so good on Jim DeFetti, uh, because look, and I hope, I hope this is the master's class for every reporter across the country. Uh, you know, you know, like my congressman here in, in my neck of the woods, Scott, pardon me, Perry, voted against it. He comes out saying, hey, I help you know, do this. No, no, you didn't do that. You, you were against it. So for me, good on him. Uh, some, some interesting news. This caught my attention. Uh, I thought Don Blankenship had just gone off into the, into the sunset. 
Uh, he's not in jail, so he's got to be happy. He's a rich guy, so he's probably going to figure he's happy. He, evidently, um, evidently, <laughs> he is, he is, evidently he's decided to run for U.S. Senate in West Virginia. Uh, Joe Manchin, I guess, isn't running for re-election. Uh, you got Jim Justice, who's the Republican, who's you know, going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, Blankenship is going to run as a Democrat. And I go, wait a second. How is it How is it possible the guy who was the former CEO of Massey Energy, a company that killed 52 miners, 52 people in mines, 29 of them in the Upper Big Branch disaster in 2010. Uh, a guy who went to federal prison uh, because he conspired to break health and safety laws. Um, yeah, this guy who who put out a memo saying, you know, we, you don't get paid to do that safety stuff. You get paid to run coal. Literally, the 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 example, the poster child of of bad boss he's he's running for for senate <laughs> uh this is a guy who doesn't care about working people not a bit uh doesn't care about the law doesn't care about your health doesn't care about your safety doesn't care about the environment doesn't care about anything cares about the bottom line cares about greed cares about his pocket wait a second hold on that could be a democrat from west virginia but this is interesting because what if he wins? What if you get a Don Blankenship Democrat from West Virginia? Cause well, they make them different there. Um, what, what do you do? And, um, I sat and I thought about this for a little bit where I'm going, can you imagine the Democratic Party? Because look, you got a real struggle with, with Joe Manchin. Can you imagine a guy? Now, understand, if he were a Republican, I would understand. I would I would completely understand a guy who's against health and safety, a guy who's against regulations, a guy who's all in favor of cheating workers and screwing workers over. That That's the epitome of a Republican Senate candidate. That's who they're supposed, that's who they are, that's who they're supposed to be, that's who they've been, all that. Get that. My mind would be perfectly in place with that. But as a Democrat to have that, how would the Democratic Party deal with him? Someone who is going to poison pill every piece of legislation and potentially be the new Joe Manchin. Now, I don't think he's going to win. Because again, I, I go back to that Harry Truman quote. If you give the voters a choice between a Republican and a Democrat, a Democrat that acts like a Republican, they're going to choose the real article. They're going to choose the Republican, which is why you should be a Democrat, which is why you should follow the, the, the principles that the Democratic Party follows. You should you should stand up for workers rights. You should stand up for the little guy. You should fight for the working class. And, and this is where I think Biden is is has been. Now, our corporate controlled mainstream media, not so much on board with this. But the fact that he walked a picket line, the fact that he has put people in the positions of, of authority within our government that have been helping working people. Look, we got a long way to go. We need legislative action and in a big way if we're going to help working people get to where they need to be. To be able to survive in this country. 
Yeah, I was just reading a New York Post article. Yes, I do read the New York Post. I try not to brag, though. <laughs> and and they, they, they quoted this guy who I remember back, you know, years ago, uh, the, the big story was, you know, he was retiring at age 34. You know, he had a net worth of a couple million dollars. He was a he was a, he was a Goldman Sachs guy. He was, a, you know, he, he, I guess he wrote a book, um, you know, you know, buy this, not that. I think this, you know, how to be rich and, you know, one of those things. And now they're talking about this guy is saying, look, you know, he lives in San Francisco and his two hundred and thirty thousand dollar a year uh, earnings um, isn't enough to live comfortably for him and his family of four in, in San Francisco. And he goes through how in, in big cities, uh, you know, the cost of living is so much more expensive and how, how you need to make so much more money. And, and they, they, they point out, you know, why this guy thinks this way. Now, now look, uh, the sad reality is that a lot of our, our, our cities, they have been gutted because of, of, of bad state policies, because of, you know, attacking education, because of, you know, charters and charter schools and vouchers and every education scheme out there that rich people are no longer sending their kids to public schools. And as soon as you take the rich people out, education is going to go down because there's nobody saying, hey, why aren't we making this better? And in his in his his budget, they've got eighty thousand dollars a year for private school, grade school tuition for two kids. Of which, you know, understand a, a side car. I digress a bit. In states that have voucher programs, massive windfall for a guy like this, because that 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 voucher money just goes into his pocket, not new people going into into private schools. Just a cash flow for him. But he goes through and he talks about you know how, what it takes to to live in these in these cities uh, that have you know have higher costs of living. And the wages that you need, and all this stuff, and and the story cites a a Forbes, um, you know, story that said that the average salary in this country for working people is is just under like fifty nine thousand, and you know in California it's you know just over seventy three thousand, which is well below the the two hundred eighty eight thousand that he says he needs uh, to be able to make ends meet. They also they also talk about this recent study at Investopedia. Now, you know, again, these are these are you know not you know your double blind studies, you know, you know, academics. You know, these aren't these are these are it's Investopedia. But the numbers are interesting when they come out and say that for the average citizen in this country to live what is the American dream, you know, buy a house, have a car. You know, a couple of pets, you know, the kids, uh, you know, two kids, you know, 2.3 kids, you know, go send them to school, you know, do the things that we we associate with the leave it to beaver of my generation, the leave it to beaver kind of, you know, lifestyle, you know, vacation every once in a while, you know, new car every once in a while, you know, that kind of security and safety and and all of that. They say that lifestyle, uh, almost three and a half million dollars. In a, in a lifetime of earnings. And yet what they say is, according to the research, the the, the mass of, of, of folks, the average American, only brings in about 2.3. So so way short. And what gets what gets what gets lost? What gets lost is retirement savings. 
And which is why it's not surprising. We've got a generation of working people who are looking down the barrel of retirement with nothing set aside. And guess what? They didn't have the union job that got them a defined benefit pension fund that they didn't think about for 30 years. And, you know, it got me thinking today about my lifetime. When I entered the workforce, the idea of the eight-hour day was sacrosanct. Eight-hour overtime after eight hours in any working job was the norm. Now, good luck. Healthcare that you didn't have to dig deep into your pocket to cover was the norm. A defined pension was still the norm. It was, it was moving, but it was still the norm. And in my lifetime, what corporate America has been able to do, to do along with you know the very wealthy and our own greed, is they've moved us away from, from safety and security of, of a solid defined benefit pension, you know, health care, uh, the kind of, of you know, investments in our community through our governments uh, to a basically a Wild West where every time you want something, you're digging into your pocket. You want your kids to get an education? Well, you got to start digging. You want your kids to be able to, to have music lessons or sports or any extra curriculars? Start digging. Uh, you want to, you, you want to, you you want something in your community you know, like a, a pool. Well, start digging; it's going to cost you. Things that you know, when I was a kid, you kind of took for granted as as investments that we made. Uh, you want to drive across town? Sorry, it's going to cost you. And this is this is what the Reagan era brought us. So um, you know, in looking back, and you watch this shift because I remember the first the one of the one of the first jobs I, I got working for a trucking company. Uh, it's when they first introduced this 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 RIP plan. Uh, it was a defined benefit and a lump sum, you know, kind of contribution plan, where at the end you could pick either one depending on where what your situation was. And the guy, you know, who gave the presentation said, "Look, you know, you spend 30 years working here, and we're a great company, and we default, we we give the union this money, and they're going to administer it. In 30 years, you're going to have a million dollars." And I said, "Look, you know, at the end of the day, it sounds nice." But they're not going to allow a dumb truck driver to have a million dollars unless I need a wheelbarrow to buy a loaf of bread. And and, and I'm nowhere near that that number and very and nobody that I know is because Wall Street has always figured out how to how to game the system for themselves. The very wealthy have always figured out how to how to make sure that their pockets are full. So every time there's an economic collapse, every time there's a bank bailout needed, every time corporate America needs to, to be saved, it's the working people who tighten the belt. It's the working people who suffer and sacrifice. So that American dream that we all believed was possible, that if we worked hard and played by the rules, seems to be slipping away. And these numbers, uh, and look, like I said, it's a Vestopedia. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, they're saying to lead that American dream, to live that dream, Three and a half million dollars. And the average American's making about 2.3. And you know, that means a lot of people are well below that. So it's it's interesting to me that we then hear politicians talk about wanting to enrich the already wealthy. It's it's interesting to hear Trump say, oh, you know, well, Wall Street now, Wall Street only makes the, the rich richer. <laughs> Quite, quite remarkable. But I'm telling you, 
uh, it all comes back down to politics. And this is where the right understands this. And they understand it very well. They understand investing in, in media outlets to divide people is, is their, their MO. They've always known how to divide and conquer. They've always known how to pit working people against each other. They've always known how to use our politics to divide us. When what we should be doing is we should be electing representatives of we the people to do the work of we the people. And when they don't, we throw the bums out because we have the ultimate term limiter. It's called the right to vote. This idea that, you know, everyone sucks except my guy is ridiculous. Do the job or we will find people who will. And that has to come back to being able to make better wages, hours, conditions, to be able to ensure that kids get the best education possible, to make sure that someone's looking out for the little guy. Seems sane. Seems rational to me. Seems like, seems like it might be a good idea. Maybe we, maybe we try it. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at ricksmithshow.com. Miss any portion of the program? Download the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. There we are. Quick break. Right back after this. Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1834. That was the first time in United States history that a president called in federal troops to settle a labor dispute, and it certainly would not be the last. President Andrew Jackson ordered federal troops to quiet the workers on the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal. The workers were predominantly Irish, but also included Germans, Dutch, and African Americans. They were digging a canal along the route of the Potomac River, which had rapids that made it difficult to traverse. The primary purpose of the canal was to bring coal from the Allegheny Mountains to eastern port cities. The goal was to connect the ports to the Ohio River and Ohio Valley. Work on the project was grueling. Rocky ground made digging the canal extremely difficult. Workers labored 12 and even 15 hours a day. They often had to work in ditches with mud or water up to their waists. They lived in poor conditions in shanty towns along the canal route. In 1932, cholera swept through the work camps, leaving death in its wake. Work stoppages plagued the project, which had originally been conceived by George Washington. Ten different significant incidents of labor unrest occurred during the more than two decades the project was underway. Workers became fed up with hard labor, low wages, and dangerous conditions. Andrew Jackson sent in troops to stop the workers' rebellion. The CNO Canal never made it to the Ohio Valley. The coming of the railroad derailed the completion of the project 180 miles from its planned ending point. All was not lost, however, as the president's action to send in troops to suppress workers set a precedent that others would follow in the years ahead. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Welcome back to The Rick Smith Show. Check out our website, therichsmithshow.com. So Marjorie Trainwreck Green, uh, she said that the Senate border deal, I remember yesterday she talked about a national divorce. We need to break up, we need to break up the country, we need a divorce. And I'll tell you, 
Uh, I might actually be in favor of a wall then. You go ahead. We cut off. We'll wall off Texas and Georgia and all of that. We'll wall it right off. Uh, and with that comes no no money when disaster hits. Uh, all of that comes with, you know, sorry, you'll be treated like expats. Uh, no Social Security, no, no Medicare, none of that stuff. You're on your own. Uh, it's nice to think about. It's nice to go, oh, hey, we're going to divorce and we're going to get all this great stuff. It's going to be utopia until you realize uh, how much redistributive money goes from, from blue states to red states to keep them afloat. But she says that the border deal is dead on arrival. They haven't released the text yet, have no idea what's in it. From what I'm told, it's mostly the Republicans' wish list. It's what Republicans want. Because everyone knows there has to be some kind of border security. There has to be something that goes on. So let, give the Republicans what they want. Uh, and throw in some things that are going to make it a little more humane. You know, find that that middle ground spot where, okay, Republicans get what they want, but Democrats make it a little, a little less harsh so that everyone can go back to their constituents and say, see, look what we did. And everyone can be angry and you can you can then have something. But Marjorie's saying, no, no, nothing. Dead on arrival. And and ha hasn't even read it. And are you surprised? The answer, no. Uh, but here's the part that is a bit surprising to me. And that's, you know, we talked about James Langford yesterday. And Langford has said, look, you know, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about the deal. He thinks it's a good deal. He's helped negotiate it. I'm not a James Langford fan by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, if he's for it, generally I'm going, eh, I got to I gotta know the devil and, and the details. But evidently, uh, his home state of Oklahoma, the Republican Party, not happy with him. Uh, they don't happy with the fact that he's working on a bipartisan immigration deal. Uh, that they say that they are claiming runs counter to the state's party's platform, which they haven't read the plan. Okay. Uh, now, again, you have these these resolutions that they have passed condemning Langford, uh, which basically says that they're not going to help him. Uh, they will cease all support for James Langford, and this is this is how they hold their their people in in check uh, and hold them accountable for doing their job. Now, generally, you use this kind of stuff for, for people not doing their job. Um, you, you what? You, you showed up and you did nothing? You know, like the entire U.S. House of Representatives on the Republican side? You, you've done nothing? Uh, you should probably not get a paycheck. Langford tried. And whatever is in this bill, we should be able to see and debate and, and discuss but to have the Republican Party of Oklahoma say, what, you're working with them? No. It's interesting. Now, for me, this is another example of why we need to abolish the Senate. Because I look at a state like Oklahoma and go, how is it possible that they get the same number of senators as California or Texas or New York? How is that possible that they have the same representation uh, in the Senate? How is it possible? In fact, a state like Oklahoma... Um, should get like negative representatives <laughs> just because of to make up how bad their senators have been over the years. Uh, but like a state like California and Texas and, and New York, they're the big states. They're the they're where the people are. Um, they should have more representation, which is why, again, we have such 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 
destructive policies that have taken hold. Look, to get anything positive done, and this is where Democrats are struggling, you've got to deal with some of these backward states. And look, when Langford is on, on board to do something, you embrace that. But the state party is saying, no, we don't want you working. It's quite remarkable. Uh, and finally, this is, this is good news. The Pennsylvania State Supreme Court um, is, is saying that abortion is a right. Uh, the high court has issued a, a decision on reproductive rights uh, that is going to send a case back to the lower courts on Medicaid and whether Medicaid should cover the cost of, of abortions. And you know, you've got some of these justices who are eh, kind of signaling that the state constitution protects it. This could be a game changer for Pennsylvania. And I know, I know, uh, there are other states in the country who've modeled their constitutions after Pennsylvania's, so it could be could be interesting. Now, this is a big election year issue. The is, in my view, probably the number one or number two issue that's out there. Uh, this could play a huge, a huge, huge role here in Pennsylvania. So it's going to be interesting to see how it how it happens. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick at the Rick Smith Show.com. Something I said got under your skin, got on your nerves, made you think, made you happy, made you sad. Or you just want to say, hey, email me, Rick at the Rick Smith Show.com. I do answer all emails personally. Uh, for folks who may have missed a moment, and you should not never miss a moment, uh, grab the podcast. Always there, always available uh, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick, Email Rick. at rick at Show.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.